When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. We would like to acknowledge that today we are recording on Ghana land. We are in the lovely Adelaide Plains area and the Ghana people are the traditional custodians of this land and we'd like to pay our respects to Ghana elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. And this always has been... Always will be... Aboriginal, Aboriginal land. land. I'm Ellis Dolan. My name is Mila Sinsar. And today I am so excited. Like, I'm always excited to, to chat with you about anything, Min, but today I'm especially excited because we're chatting about potentially my favourite thing in the history of anything <laughs> ever. Big call. It's a big call. But you're making it. I am, I'm making it because today we are talking about the musical Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Alexander Hamilton. We have chosen this week to launch what has been a very broadly and widely requested show that we do a critique mm-hmm. of because the folks love Hamilton. Everybody, like, Hamilton is... Huge. Hamilton is a phenomena. I can't think of any other modern musical, any musical full stop that's received this much uh, attention mm. and widespread love and adoration. Yeah. So much huge. so as to warrant a release of the original Broadway cast recording on Disney Plus yeah. that has so much like hype and, and mainstream excitement around it. So that's the reason that we are doing Hamilton this week is because if you are listening on July the 3rd, which is the day this episode is going to be released, this is also the day that Hamilton is going to appear on Disney+. And so if you're somebody that's getting keen to watch Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, also get keen to hear about... A feminist, a feminist critique, critique of it. it. And just, just to point out, we 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 have not been paid to make that kind of advertisement. We just want as many people to see Hamilton as possible because we love it so much, and mm. we hope that you also do as well. But also, like Disney, if you want to sponsor us, go ahead. <laughs> we will not say no. <laughs> the other reason that I'm so excited today is because we got the chance to talk to the incredible Laura Tapoki. Yes, Laura Tapoki. So. For those of you who don't know, Laura Topoki is a musical director and has uh, travelled all over the country and the, the Southern Hemisphere, touring with shows like uh, The Wizard of Oz, My Fair Lady, uh, Les Miserables. She's played in the orchestras of Wicked, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Love Never Dies, and appears on the DVD, uh, and, and many, many more produ- uh, productions. I had the great fortune to work with her uh, on the School of Rock tour, where she was our musical director and musical supervisor, and she is the musical director for the Australian production of Hamilton, which is so, so cool. <laughs> It was so great to have a chat with Laura. Um, We had a video call. She was out in a park in Queensland and the sun was shining. And it was just so lovely to get to talk to her, particularly Mm. about something that we were all so passionate about. Like She was so insightful. It was so interesting to hear her perspective as somebody who has been on an audition panel for this musical. Mm. And a spoiler alert for the interview, has met Lin-Manuel Miranda. I can't. Can't do it. We had the best chat. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. Here it is. Without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Laura Topoki. How are you doing? Yay! Really good, guys. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to uh, chat to you today about none other than 
Hamilton at American Musical. <laughs> oh, yes. It's, it's very it's, exciting. It's, it's really exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, like your relationship with the musical and also kind of how you ended up becoming the musical director for the upcoming Australian tour? I'm still pinching myself, I have to <laughs> say. Um, if you would have told me this even two years ago, or I would have not believed you. Um, I suppose as a young sort of teenager, I, I, I got into hip hop and rap, was sort of a bit of an R&B pop girl. Mm-hmm. And so when Hamilton sort of came up, when it first came out, I thought, oh, this is intriguing. I remember putting it on for the first time and I just couldn't leave. I had to listen to it all mm. in, in that one sitting. And, and um, yeah, I guess, I guess when I heard the shows was coming to, to Australia, I did what I could to make, make my <laughs> presence known. Yeah. And, um, and I had to, I had to audition, um, which is the case with, with all our cast and our musicians as well. For Hamilton Australia um, as I'm sure you could sort of imagine it being a hip-hop show mm. it's it's sort of not not everybody's first language yeah, um, yes. so it makes sense to um, made sense to really sort of audition and so I sent my tape in with all my all my tracks I had to rap and play at the same time which is the first yes. time I've ever had to do that That's so cool um, which is really cool. I mean, it's, 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 you know, good coordination test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one thing to rap, one thing to play, another to do it both at the same time. So, um, yes. And, and since then, I mean, my, my, my journey with Hamilton is fairly, fairly fresh, fairly new. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, soaking it all up, but that's kind of how I, how I got it and how <laughs> I began my my Hamilton journey yeah wow that's really cool <laughs> can you tell us um obviously the Australian cast hasn't been finalized yet but um having mm-hmm. you know gone through at least the initial stages of the casting process um as somebody on the audition yeah. panel can you tell us a little bit about that from your perspective yeah look I think it was on everybody's mind when when the news came out that Hamilton was coming to Australia I think everybody was wondering if we'd be able to cast it here mm. if we have mm. that the, the right kind of you know people who can speak that language um, yeah. yeah and I, I have to say Lauren Wiley who's our casting director she's so incredibly good at her job um, yeah. that we really it was the whole we were saying the whole time you know no stone unturned mm-hmm. um we need to we need to check out everyone and and everything and and see if we can find our past and i'm so so excited about how it's shaping up it's um mm. it's looking really really good the process is has been so unique and unlike any other i've been a part of um mm. even just in in you know the, the casting brief being bring a rap and how do we feel about how do how do i kind of go about seeing oh yeah what is it that makes someone good at rapping Mm. (laughs) aside from being able to you know spit out many words quickly Mm. um you know it's about rhythm it's about pocket it's about ideas and opinions and Mm. um you know often it's about sort of being active in in free thoughts for empowering people and equality and you know all these really kind of important um conversations so you know it kind of leads me to um to black lives matter and and that movement that's going on at the Mm. moment it's it's sort of even more poignant um this this way of communicating through rap so Mm. um i guess I've, i've loved getting to see to see that Mm. Mm. I suppose um, with regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and the fact that that has sparked a lot of conversations about like our industry um, and especially casting mm-hmm. in, in music theatre, um, I guess there have been these suggestions, um, 
I say that in inverted commas because I don't agree with them, that, um, you know, we don't have people of colour performers in Australia. Like, it's really hard to cast um, people appropriately or in a diverse way um, for Australian theatre, film, television. Um, Can you you debunk that myth for us? (laughs) Look, it's... It's something I think you and I as performers and, and you know, creative people are, are aware of, but something that maybe needs more awareness around it by, mm. by the bigger sort of demographic. And, and that's kind of the point of these conversations, isn't it? Is that we can sort of look at why things are the way they are and try and move forward and learn and educate and Mm. and create that that equality um i think we have definitely you know come across some really exciting talent in um in our diverse sort of search (laughs) um but oftentimes it's it's truly about sort of the training and the education that perhaps hasn't quite got to our indigenous brothers and sisters and mm. you know um i think that could be a really great place to to kind of help nurture that next um process in our evolution mm. or towards that that goal is to have better um training available to our to all peeps you know yeah. um because as, as well as hamilton hamilton being such an uh, exciting platform for those voices it's it's also there's an incredible amount of technique and virtuosity mm. that's um, involved in you know pulling that off eight times a week on a long-running season and mm. the technique and stamina that you need to you know be able to rap like that um, yeah and to be able to dance like that, I mean, man, the dance is so powerful and so, like, you know, rich in storytelling. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's, there's a lot of different sort of angles to this conversation, I think, um, that, that we need to be having. But, yeah, like I say, what we're, what we're looking at in, in terms of our cast, our Australian cast, is um i'm just so proud already we haven't done anything and i'm I'm so proud it's like wow there's so many different diversities already being represented in in Mm. what Mm. our show is shaping up to be so you know and i guess bring it on um (laughs) through the like Mm. no stone unturned approach like um Mm. if you're actively going out of your way to seek like to seek diverse talent beyond your own circles and beyond your own um, networks and people that you're aware of, you're going to find these like hidden gems. And I think that, you know, gems. to, to mm. some degree, some of the um, like almost lazy casting of continually putting um, the same faces on our stages and the same races on our stages mm. might just be through a lack of going out and seeking out that talent that we know mm. exists. Yes. It's it's about seeking, but then it's also about nurturing. I think if you mm-hmm. if you find these these kind of unpolished gems <laughs> that have you know such such huge amount of talent and and sort of trying to guide them or steer them towards um, you know having having being able to really hone their craft and mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's where we where we can really hope to see. Some, some lasting change on our stages yeah. and yeah. not just sort of a, a trend which is you know almost just as bad <laughs> like yeah. it needs to be lasting and well understood and mm. um <laughs> yeah that's what I think <laughs> one of the things that stands out uh about Hamilton is that it, it's very specifically written for to be performed by people of color or primarily by mm. people of color. And the fact that yes. um, something like with a very specific vision and sound and kind of like cross-cultural 
uh, reach has become possibly the biggest thing that's ever existed, <laughs> ever. Mm, <laughs> um, like there's there's some there's something really uh, that feels really significant uh, about that. Do you, do you think that part of the issue is that we just mm-hmm. don't have enough texts being written in this way to to have that reach? Yeah, look, it's hard to kind of, I thought about this often with, in, in relation to Hamilton, like, it's hard to, it's hard to know, it's, it's alchemy, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's all the elements that have come together to tell this excellent story, but on paper, it, it maybe shouldn't have worked, you know, it maybe shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have been as, as affecting and as powerful and, um, and all those things you just mentioned, but mm. but it is. And like I've I've even I've wondered about the creative process, which I'm only just starting to get to know myself, and how it came, became what it is with with all those wonderful minds in the same room. You know, how, were they always in agree in agreement on on how things became as they are as we know them, or were there? You know, it feels like it when you watch it, when you experience it, it, it feels like all the elements are in a really lovely kind of symbiotic mm. <laughs> relationship that they're all trying to tell, all telling the same story. Um, it's, it's beautiful and it, it is, it's inspiring for, um, for what might come, you know, and, yeah. and those little sparks that might go off in, in someone, anyone who watches it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have to do things the way they've always been done. You yeah, know? yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I think if you would like to to ten years ago say, oh, just letting you know, in the next decade, the um, the most popular Ooh. musical and like potentially most successful musical of all time is going to be a mm-hmm. a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton, the founding father of the United States. People would be like, ah, oh. <laughs> yeah can't say that yeah totally um, so you i like i love the concept that on paper it seems absurd Ooh. but in practice it's incredible it's, it's wonderful and i because i was like i got to see the production in london as well and i was so curious to see how how the london version would work and how how it would feel to to watch it in sort of contrast to the new york story because the new york story feels so urban and you know, and current and, and like the language they really, it's like, that's how they speak, you know, that's, mm. I thought, how, how will this feel in, in London? And it, and it, and it still works. And I have to say that now I'm, I'm, I've been through our own casting process here that it's something that I find so um, inspiring about, about what matters to this team is finding people who have ideas and opinions about this story, you know, mm-hmm. that it's, it's not necessarily about recreating one person's version, but sort of finding out, finding people who A, relate to the story, but B, who have their own opinions and can sort of really um, make it their own. Mm. Um, which we're hoping to find, which I know we'll find with the Australian version, that it's gonna mm-hmm. it's gonna feel unique, unique to our Australian story. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Which I'm so excited about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, uh, to the surprise of everyone uh, here at Feminism mm. Ruins Everything, we are very passionate about feminism. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, um, really? <laughs> I know, right? Shocker. As somebody who has a very intimate mm. knowledge of the text. Uh, what do you think Hamilton mm. has to say about feminism or female empowerment? Do you know what? Like, it never fails to amaze me how these women that we know in the story of Hamilton the musical are major pioneers of their day who, mm. you know, both Eliza and Angelica have these stories which are incredible and extraordinary you know they're not they're not typical of their time they they achieve such wonderful noble things in their lives and Hamilton doesn't shy away from that you know mm. he's he 
he's sort of, yes, he has his own path and his own drive, but I think it's really exciting that he, the Hamilton we see, at least in the musical, is so, he's, he's obviously in support of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we finish, ooh, was that loud for you? Um, <laughs> we finish the musical with, with Eliza's story being mm-hmm. well and truly heard, and I, I love mm. that. I think it's um, a quite a balanced kind of view of of mm. this snapshot in time, you know? Mm. Yeah, like the fact that mm. Eliza has the final word is amazing. Yeah, we, that's we, right. It's we've read that um, the reason that it's called Hamilton as opposed to Alexander Hamilton mm. is because that's intended to be inclusive of Eliza as well, um, which absolutely. You know the questions they ask: Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? It's 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 very much. It's a very sort of poignant, poignant questions to ask. I think. Um, and what do you do with that knowledge when when someone passes? How will you use it? How will you shape the rest of the course of your life? And mm. Eliza was not a blushing flower. She did not sit at home. Oh, she obviously mourned, but she, <laughs> she achieved such amazing things once once sort of alexander left her, mm. her left this earth um which is you know we all go through our own versions of loss and and grief and all those things and it's it's really cool to see a chick who's as badass as Eliza, <laughs> yeah. who just um you know she's like well this is what i'm going to do about it you know um which i love that i think i'll take some lessons from Eliza in my own life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An, another moment that really stands out to me in the show is uh, Burn, where we mm. kind of, uh, where, where Lynn approximates what he think Eliza's reaction might have been because she uh, historically, mm. so when, when, when uh, Alexander had an affair, she burned all her correspondence. So historians don't really know what her specific reaction was, but Lynn's decided to frame it in a very powerful uh, stance. I tell you what, what I, I found out something about that very moment. And this is where I, I, I know that my, my relationship with Hamilton is so fresh and so new, but <laughs> I, I was lucky enough to watch the LA company uh, rehearse recently mm. um, before they were due to open in LA in, in March. They were rehearsing in New York and Andy Blankenbuehler, who's the choreographer, was talking about that very number, Burn, and throughout, in the staging, throughout the number, the female ensemble join Eliza, sort of almost one by one, mm. and not on stage, but sort of in, in, the, in the kind of shadows or the wings there where you can see them if you look, and, and it's... It, it feels like they're there kind of sharing in that moment with Eliza mm. with stories of their own, you know, that mm. it's kind wow. of uh, bringing together women from all over the, the world, all over across history, if you like, yeah. that might've had some, some kind of similar um, hurt or pain yeah. and, you know, joining together in this moment is is like they don't say anything they mm-hmm. don't you know they don't dance about it it's yeah. just their presence is actually yeah. wow that is that is really cool mm. <laughs> it's a real Go solidarity yeah. yeah yes very much mm-hmm. we we talk a lot on this podcast about like period pieces and the fact that sometimes mm. i i guess in favor of historical accuracy um that yeah in inverted comments uh that Mm -hmm. you know creative teams or writers um or people that produce the work uh can be sucked into having like a really um naturalistic portrayal of history because you Mm -hmm. know it's like that's the way that things were and um Hamilton Mm -hmm. obviously pushes back against that um so much and I guess to for your perspective, um, when when so many um, factors have been changed to align with, I guess what we need to be seeing on our modern stages, like what what's the most important thing that can still be portrayed um, when 
you know, you're presenting a historical story that um, doesn't necessarily look, in inverted commas, the way that mm. you would expect it to. I think the most important thing is truth. I think mm. if no matter what, no matter where you are uh, in life, <laughs> um, if there's if there's a part of you that you you can bring to something, um, then to me that's that's the ultimate. And and you know we we aim to sort of inspire that or evoke that in our audience that they can find their own truth or their own um, connection to to that to our story and all of a sudden we become you know a, a million people strong as opposed mm. to one dude in a room um, who's who's telling us a story with no authenticity you know um, that that's always my goal and in in whatever I do and I and I I know that I, that's what excites me so much about Hamilton is I know that matters to them too mm. is that even in the at this early stages of casting casting the show as opposed to rehearsing or performing that that it's still very much about bringing your authentic self mm. to the room yeah and then I guess there's like it makes the story so much more universal to its audience rather than just yes. being about this one specific uh, yeah. historical character. That's right. We're all human. We all, we all are connected in our humanity and we don't, that's what art is, isn't it? It's a celebration mm. of, of humanity, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what we aim for anyway. Now, Laura, you've had an incredibly prolific career as a musical director um, in Australia, Thank like you. just just like uh, just thinking of some of the the credits uh, that your your name has been or some of the productions mm. that your name's been attached to has been incredible. And we were just wondering uh, if you'd uh, be able to discuss what your career has been like as a as a woman of color navigating uh, what is predominantly a male dominated space or a male dominated role. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, not so long ago we had the Me Too movement and. Um, there's so many important sort of discussions going on in our lifetime. It's, it's amazing um, that we can bear witness to all of that. I feel really, really lucky. I, I know I'm lucky. I'm super blessed in that my, um, my path, my path has been very, I've been very well supported. Mm. Um, I'm lucky that I come from a, a family of, performers and and creators so I um <laughs> so I never felt like I was doing something I'm not supposed to be doing yeah. um you know as I know I know many people haven't had that sort of support from a young age but I I definitely have and um and sort of likewise through my, through my training I mean you know you have your your sort of occasions where where you feel a little <laughs> like if you were wearing pants <laughs> maybe maybe things might have been easier but mm. but I do feel like I've had some really incredible mentors in my in my um, career who've who've sort of helped put me in situations that have really challenged me and and I've been able to you know grow from them mm. um it's it's a it's a weird thing. I think even being a being Maori, being being from New Zealand and but not growing up there, a lot of um, I think the reason for that was my parents could see opportunity in moving to Australia and bringing us kids up here and studying here and working here, and I'm super grateful for that. Um, but yes, it's been, I've been very well supported. Mm. Um, I can only sort of, you know, when, when things do, there's been a couple of times when things have sort of turned um, and I've been challenged by that. Um, I'm grateful that I've always had this family with me that I've been mm. able to, to, again, draw support from and, and kind of get, gain some perspective because actually, a job is a job and it's nice to have a good job, but 
the things I care about are sort of, you know, bigger than that. So that helps me when things at work are shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you always have something to fall back on and, and support you through the, the tougher times. That's that's right. I yeah. think that's that's kind of how I've how I've sort of moved through those tricky tricky moments. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Laura, we are so grateful for all of your insight today. It has been such a pleasure talking to you about this. Um, and hearing about your perspective and from your role in this upcoming Australian production of Hamilton. So um, excited. <laughs> before so excited. Um, before we wind up, Ellis and I want to like mildly fangirl and just ask if you have any like fun Hamilton facts uh, that you might uh, know from the inside <laughs> that um, that the general public might not uh, might have not be so aware much. Of knowledge of look tell us gosh. the boss laura <laughs> do, you, do you know what there's hamilton is such a global phenomenon i feel like there's so many mad fans out there who, you know you could you could find out the craziest stuff if you really wanted to i i don't have anything that exciting except to say that i have i have met lynn and that was i did i did kind of you know lose my mind a little yeah. and get, yeah. get a Reasonable. little stage, stage fright. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we talked about our kids, which was really cool. Um, he sort of, he came to watch the final show run of the LA um, company rehearsing mm. in the rehearsal room in New York. And he brought his two year old little boy oh. along and gosh, it was the sweetest thing. It's just, you know, you talk about perspective when, when times are tough and it was, it's really cool to just look over there and see this little little dude listening, you know, dancing to Yorktown, and yes. that 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 to me was like, yes, this, these are my people. Yeah, <laughs> that that we can have our have our sort of family around us, and you know, mm. I mean yeah. that's that's not a crazy crazy fun fact, but it was just something I was not expecting, and and helped me to feel even. Um, even more in love with this with yeah. this process. <laughs> That's such a testament to like the culture around the show, I guess. Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, new generations. Look mm. out for them. I reckon they're gonna <laughs> knock our socks off. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. Anyway, thank you so much for that, Laura. I I hope that uh, the the global pandemic eases so that you guys can get back to to putting this show up and and bringing it to Australia. Yes. I'm re- I'm so excited to see it and I can't wait to see what 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 you do. <laughs> yeah, what what we do with it. I, yeah. I'm excited too. And thank you, thank you so much for having me. I'm 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 thrilled to be a part of. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com what you guys are building and you know it's like it's kind of motivating that that our our village is is still going strong even though our theaters are are closed for now for now Um, we can we can still connect with like minds and you know and talk about things that are important so thank you (laughs) thank you thank you so much Laura Not long after our interview, Laura reached out to us with an addendum that she wanted to to include, and so here it is now. Hi guys, it's Laura here again. Um, I had such a lovely time chatting with you guys. I, I got home after our our interview and I was going back over the, the answers that I gave, and in particular to one question, and that was the question about my, my journey as a woman in a white male dominated space and my response to you today was quite um, quite general when in reality I 
I have definitely um, experienced male chauvinist bullying and sexual harassment um, as I as I think most women will have in a professional sort of environment. It's unfortunate and it's, you know, it's not right, um, but it is very common. And so I wanted to just sort of share that with you. Um, I could see that this, this excellent podcast was a real opportunity to be able to um, draw light on this and hopefully um, bring people together in their experiences. Um, it's not something that I feel easy speaking about, obviously, as I shied away from it the first time you asked. Uh, but it is something that I um, I did struggle with greatly. Um, the bullying in particular was, 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 it sort of happened in a very um, open sort of space, um, public space, I should say. And, um, and the thing that really got me through was, was really my family and the support I have from them. To, and it gave me that perspective, I guess, um, to be able to move forward through it and also just talk about it to people I trust. And that, that's something that I, I try in my, my career to attract people that I know I can trust and, and have real conversations with and, and talk about all the important things. Um, so I just wanted to add that in there today and, and thank you so much for this opportunity to speak out. Love your work. We just want to say thank you so much to Laura for sharing that. And we are really humbled uh, by her trusting us to share that on our platform. Thank you so much again to Laura for coming on and chatting to us and sharing her insight with this show. I cannot wait to see the Australian production when it finally gets it's to go ahead. Awesome. It's going to be great. So we chatted a little bit with Laura about the feminist aspects of this show and some of the female representation in it. Um, let's dive into that a little bit further, Ellis. Yeah. Like, what are your perceptions of Hamilton from a strictly feminist point of view? From the feminist perspective, it's interesting. The story that's being told is very male-centric. And I think uh, like part of that is a quote-unquote historical issue because it uh, turns out uh, <laughs> men had more rights than women back in the 1700s. <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah. And, and, and so, like, like... Also, turns out men had uh, more educational opportunities and more of an opportunity to be the authors of history. Mm. And it turns out that when you have given... Uh, a particular gender, more opportunities, they are the ones that seem to be uh, more foundational in yeah. a historical context. And dominant in the stories about those historical contexts. Exactly. So on one hand, Hamilton is kind of fighting against reality <laughs> in that while there are very important, uh, powerful, intelligent women in this story, the story is itself focused on Alexander Hamilton and the men that founded America. Yeah, and any women that are in the story are there because they were significant in Hamilton's life, not because they themselves are presenting their own storyline necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, as we mentioned before, like the, the musical is called Hamilton to refer to both Alexander and his wife Eliza, and we do get parts of Eliza's own story after his mm, death mm -hmm. but in terms of like the 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 main bulk of the musical it's all kind of in how these characters particularly eliza and angelica relate to hamilton himself mm. that being said though i do think that this show does a lot to reframe history mm. in a number of ways um for example the fact that well specifically around feminism and the women in Hamilton's life, I think that they are probably given more weighting in the story than um, than previous historical narratives would have emphasized. Yeah. Um, and that's a creative choice um, by Lynn and the creative team, the fact that um, these women are portrayed significantly, mm. um, albeit in their relation, in relation to Hamilton himself. Um, but also the fact that... Uh, as we were talking about with Laura, this is a cast almost exclusively made up of people of colour telling a story about people who would have been white. Yeah. So I think that something 
really interesting that Hamilton does, and we talked a little bit about this with Laura, is very much the reframing and the contemporizing, if that's a word. It is not. <laughs> Making more contemporary mm-hmm. the, the telling of this historical story. Um, like We see that in the casting choices where these mm-hmm. historical figures who would have been white are almost exclusively played by people of colour. Um, and we also see that in the fact that historically the the women in Hamilton's life would have uh, been presented as very incidental to him, whereas their influence on him and their impact in his relationships with them, I think, are really fleshed out in yeah. um, in this story, and they're given a lot more weighting as as characters and personas and uh, as in, and as individuals um, more so than you would typically see in historical sources. It's also really important that, like, uh, the character of Angelica, for example, is kind of portrayed as Hamilton's equal. Oh, 100%. Like, they they are are intellectual equals, and and their relationship kind of springs from that. And uh, and Eliza is uh, portrayed as a very influential part of Hamilton's life, and not just the wife who stayed at home with the kids. Mm. Like, they are... are, Those characters in particular are so... uh, Strong in their their own sense of self. Mm-hmm. My only issue is that we only see them in relation to the men around them. Yeah, I've also read somewhere that Lin Manuel Miranda wrote Skylar Sisters, which is the song where we first meet Angelica, Eliza, and, and Peggy. Peggy. Did I just sing the song in my head to remember all the sisters' names? Yes. yes. Um, he wrote that after writing Helpless and Satisfied because Helpless and Satisfied, that sequence would have initially been the first time that we met them and then he was like, actually, I want to meet these women earlier and celebrate them earlier on um, independent of their relationship with Mm. Hamilton. I think it was uh, a suggestion from the director, Tommy Cale. That sounds accurate. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, then Skylar Sisters was written so that the audience could be introduced to them just as individuals and as women in their own right rather than in relationship to Hamilton. And immediately we are introduced to them and we get a sense of their personalities, mm-hmm. we get a sense of their intelligence, like they're discussing the the ongoing war, they've read Common Sense by yeah. Thomas Paine. Like we, we get the picture that they are intelligent and well-read and independent and quite empowered. Mm-hmm. Like they, they are so... Uh, they're very quickly we get this impression of them and I think it's really important that we had that before... Mm we meet the, the the eventual man who would come into their life and, and yeah. kind of drive the narrative forward from that point. And for that reason, I would I would peg Skylar Sisters as one of the top kind of feminist moments, mm. like the, one of the strongest moments of female empowerment in the show, yeah. I would see. Um, this may be alongside Burn and oh, also yeah. probably alongside... Uh, the the closing, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, where Eliza is regaling mm-hmm. what she did after Hamilton died, um, and also probably satisfied as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that Skylar Sisters is one of the only moments that could potentially pass the Vectal test. We are uncertain because they. I kind still don't of, think it does. Like they're talking about bigger topics like the War of Independence, but it's kind of through the prism of what their father has been talking about. Yeah, daddy said to be home by sundown. And all of that. Yeah, like we don't get through a couple of lines without like, we're talking about our dad, who is a man. We're talking to Aaron Burr, who is a man. Granted, we're being very sassy and being very (laughs) uh, intelligent in the process of doing so, but from a Bechdelian standard, I made up a word, uh, I don't think it passes. Because even though they all have names and they're all women... I don't think there's any point where the discussion is exclusively about like the greatest city in the world. It like it's it's kind of on the on the cusp on the fence. Mm. Um. We have though talked about in the past about conversations between two women that do pass the Bechdel test but really aren't feminist in nature. Like it could be them, you know, being catty about another woman. Mm. And in this instance, the the conversation and the song itself doesn't past the Bechdel test necessarily, but it still like really reeks of female empowerment. Yeah. And and again, like the Bechdel test isn't an inherent like um This is a feminist work. Yes. Tick. It doesn't it doesn't immediately mean feminism and something that doesn't pass the fem uh, the Bechdel test doesn't mean it's not feminist. It's just it's a nice it's, kind of 
thing to to remind ourselves of what voices are being heard and in what way are they being heard in any particular text. And it's also just a facetious test because it's such a low bar. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's, It's just telling in how few things do pass it when the standard is so low. So something that we talk on Feminism Ruins Everything a lot about is the fact that we don't like this music theatre trope where the hero and the heroine fall in love over the course of a three-minute song. Mm-hmm. Not our favourite. We are looking at you, you lame miserable. <laughs> and we were talking before about Helpless because, I won't lie to you, Ella Stolen, this is my favourite song in the whole show. It's phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's the perfect pop song. Yeah. And like when you hear Ashanti sing it on the, on the Hamilton mixtape, it's a pop song that you could hear... On the radio. Like, it's, it's the perfect pop song. It is. Um, I digress. It is also potentially one of those songs that we take issue with where the love story happens over the course of one song and they're in love and because it's a musical we take out of consideration all of the other things that should go into a relationship like actually knowing the person <laughs> that you're falling in love with. But one thing that Lin-Manuel is really good at doing all the way through is condensing these like quite big moments into a five-minute song and conveying the significance of it mm. and the importance. So by the end of Helpless, you kind of... You believe that Eliza and Hamilton are in love and wanting to get married, and you kind of... You buy it. Mm. And also, the show spans over Hamilton's entire life. Yeah. But, like, the, the opening number, we, we see... We get a picture of the first 19 years of his life in one song, and... You know, he does he does the passage of time through song really well. He, like, mm. granted, it's a long show, but even <laughs> still, the, his entire life is condensed. Um, but in Helpless, what you see is, like, it's it's almost like the song is a recap. It's it's like it's a montage song. Somebody's <laughs> like, like, how did you meet Alexander? And yeah. Eliza's like, well, here, I'll tell you. Yeah, but we still see the passage of time in the song. Like, yeah. we see the one week later, I'm writing the letter nightly. So, A, one week later, later time has passed. I'm writing letters, actually getting to know the person I'm falling in love with and going to marry. It's not just an instantaneous, I have seen you, I am now in love. Mm. It's, it's, it's a really, it's that, it's the trope, but a well done version mm. of it. It's the trope without trivializing yeah. the debut of a relationship. Like there, there is still that moment of like, you walked in and my heart went boom. I changed the key from what I sang <laughs> before. Um, but, you know, there's the initial attraction, but then you actually see the relationship growing. But I also think what makes this work is that we we do see the rest of their relationship and we see all of the issues that they have throughout it. It's not as if they had the five-minute song and they're in love forever, Mm. like, for example, Les Mis. (laughs) They actually spend this time going through their issues. They fight. They they almost break up. (laughs) Their son dies. It gets very, you know, so you see, you see, real. you see the highs and lows of their relationship that maybe suggested maybe they did get married too fast. Mm. Maybe that was a consideration. So it, it's, it always kind of mm. comments on it. But it does also seem like a realistic portrayal of an actual yeah. marriage. Like it doesn't, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not married, but it feels less, uh, Less like a rose-coloured glass depiction of yeah. we're in a musical, so everyone's happily married and in love, and nothing wrong ever happens. Um, let's talk uh, briefly about the queer representation in Hamilton. Let us, because uh, history has suggested that uh, Alexander Hamilton and John Lawrence, who's in the place to be, um, were somewhat romantically. Linked. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think it's said that Hamilton wrote about Lawrence in his letters the same way that he wrote about Eliza, uh, suggesting that he was in some way same-sex attractive. Yeah. I don't think there is a lot in the text itself. <laughs> there are a couple of references. For example, Lawrence, I like you a lot. <laughs> um, and then kind of like... I think your pants look hot. <laughs> oh, wait, no, does he say that to Hercules He says that Mulligan to Hercules Mulligan. Because he's the tailor. Yeah. But it, it would be more suggestive if he was like, I think your pants look, look hot. Lawrence, I like, I like you a lot. lot. <laughs> so the, there, are the, there are these suggestions and implications, that, but the musical itself doesn't delve into it. The fan base for Hamilton, though, has, has read into it gone so much. off. 
Like, there's so I, much out there about I, Hamilton and Lawrence. I bet there is some very explicit fan fiction uh, <laughs> that I think you could find just at, at your fingertips. Yeah, uh, e- easily so. But, again, like, I take you... Maybe part of the issue is that it isn't text. It isn't inherently in the thing. It's yeah. all implication. It's yeah. all maybe this, we're hinting at this, yeah. it's theorised this. So nothing is kind of concrete. Yeah, it's so, definitely yeah. not explicit queer representation. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's very telling. Like Lin-Manuel Miranda has been very outspoken about queer rights. He's been very outspoken about feminism. Like famously he and Emma Watson... Uh, uh, promoted the the he for she campaign, and I think the a lot of Lin uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's personal politics kind of boost up the um, whatever representation of those politics appear in Hamilton that maybe give the impression that there is more of it than is actually written into the text, mm-hmm. and so you get that you like that's the show yeah. itself is coloured with knowing what Lynn's personal politics are. Yeah. So you know that if something has like a bit of a feminist feel, if you know that something has a bit of a queer representative feel, that that would align with Lynn's mm-hmm. values, regardless of whether that was what he intended to put in there. Like his worldview coloured that potential in a positive through. light. Yes. Which is why when you look at something like Harry Potter and you are realising that its author had some backwards views, that you can then look at that work in a different light. Yes. We're not going to go into that right now. That's a whole can of worms. That that is a future episode waiting to happen. It is. (laughs) I do think that something we want... Like, the point we want to end on is the fact that this story that has been brought to light through Hamilton and American Musical has kind of reframed and reimagined history with fresh modern eyes. It's also kind of reignited the significance of mm. some of the people portrayed. Like I mean a bit <laughs> because of the way that western culture works, everybody knows who George Washington is. Mm. I had no idea who Alexander Hamilton was. Yeah. It got to the point where they uh, were considering to remove Hamilton from the $10 bill uh, and and issue a printing of somebody else. And because of this musical, so many people were outraged at that (laughs) fact that they didn't. Uh, The orphanage that Eliza Hamilton established, I think, was in a fear of going under. Mm. Because of this musical, people donated and saved this orphanage and and helped all, all of these these children and so there's like so many like repercussions to that's mm. flown on from the fact that this musical exists and is telling this story in a way and, and and bringing to light all of these historical figures that people didn't know about and now they are like like people have their favorite founding fathers now <laughs> because of this musical and, it, and it's astounding but also the thing to me um from my perspective as a as a as a white person, um, it's been stated that part of the reason that Hamilton is subtitled an American musical is because it was written by an American, performed by American performers, just so happens that those performers were people of color. And by claiming the story of the foundation of America and labeling it an American musical by presenting a diverse cast and a diverse ensemble on the stage, the musical is kind of reclaiming what the definition of an American mm. is. Immigrants, we got the job done. Exactly. And I think it's so, it, it's also very telling that all the, the principal American characters are portrayed by people of color and the one evil English king <laughs> is portrayed by a Caucasian. Yeah. I think that's very telling and very deliberate. Sounds about right. <laughs> I think that it almost, I don't want to say that it, by any means rights the wrongs of history because the US has a mm. very sordid um, history of racial inequality. Um, and a very sordid present of racial inequality. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, the two are interconnected. <laughs> uh, there is uh, correlation and causation. But I think that the fact that this is representative of an era where there were 
slavery was still alive and well in the 18th century when this musical was set. A number of the characters portrayed in the musical owned slaves. Yeah, and so it almost seems like a bit of a Hamilton. fuck you to slavery that the people that in this era would have been in such a marginalised, oppressed position more so than, than is true of modern day um, and now the people that are getting to tell that story and the fact that the people who literally physically built the United States as it is presently um, are the people whose stories we don't hear. Now the fact that those people are taking on the roles and are representing the building of America in another way just seems really fitting and seems to um, be such a strong acknowledgement of the role of people of colour in the founding of the US, um, more so than they have been given credit for previously. Critics of Hamilton have kind of pointed out that um, the issues of slavery aren't aren't really delved into... Yeah, like, slavery isn't expressly critiqued. Like... The, there, are, there are like there are throwaway lines. There are but... cursory references to it, and I think uh, some critics have a very valid criticism that um, with a show with so many um, uh, performers of color, not uh, delving into that topic or not referencing that topic in the way that they felt it should, uh, do take that issue. And I think that's I think that's very fair mm. i think that is a fair criticism i just wanted to highlight that and like you told me ellis that you had read or heard that chris jackson had a really confusing time coming to terms with the fact that he was playing george washington who was a slave owner yeah and how to deal with the his own ethics of being a black man portraying someone who is is painted in quite a positive light mm-hmm. in this musical who played such an oppressive role in um Owning slaves. The, there was a documentary uh, released about the making of Hamilton with interviews with the cast and, and some clips from the show. Uh, Future Ellis, can you put in the name of the documentary here so that I don't waste time looking it up now? That I can, past Ellis. The documentary we're talking about is called Hamilton's America, colon, The Real Hamilton. I thought it was really interesting. It's got some clips from the show uh, and a lot of interviews with the cast and the creative team. And uh, I, I found it really insightful. So go check it out. Is that where he said it? Yeah, and, and that's where Chris Jackson kind of highlighted that uh, that issue. And I think, it, I think it was very interesting and revealing and also something that I personally hadn't thought of mm. uh, while watching it. And, of course, that would have such a, a heavy weight uh, to it. I, I, I want to bring up an anecdote, um, which I think is kind of also really telling about the state of the industry as a whole in relation to this. Like, Hamilton comes out, it's the, the biggest, most successful musical in a long time. Uh, and so, of course, you, you need to recast and start tours and everything like that. And uh, a lot of people, including, I think, the Actors Union, took issue with a casting brief released for Hamilton that called for non-white performers. And... In a musical, specifically written for people of color, mm. uh, where there is, uh, as, as far as I'm aware, one role, one principal role for a Caucasian person and the rest are PSE. Yeah. There are um, a couple of like, white featured roles. Like, I think Samuel Seber is white normally. Yeah. I, I, like, I, I, and of course, it would depend different casting decisions, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the fact that, that, you know, they were looking for performers of color yes. because That's that sort of is... integral to the piece. It's the point of the show. It, yeah. And... and uh, a bunch of people went, you can't say anything like that. That's discriminatory. And so they had to change the uh, the wording of the the casting brief to say... Um, people of all oh, ethnicities. Uh, the article that I'm reading um, is an article on The Guardian. It says, a Hamilton spokesperson subsequently released a statement stressing that it is essential to the storytelling of Hamilton that the principal roles, which were written for non-white characters, excepting King George, be performed by non-white actors. And an updated ad called for men and women ages 20s to 30s for the non-white characters. Performers of all ethnic and racial backgrounds are encouraged to attend. Mm. The reason that 
gets under my gut is the amount of casting briefs that call for Caucasian performers. Yeah. Like it'll be like this production all Caucasian, this production all Caucasian, and it really annoys me that the fact that like the way something's Hamilton worded means that saying Caucasian actors, Caucasian roles is fine, mm. but as soon as the <laughs> the specifically written for non-white performers says we're looking for non-white performers, yeah. everybody gets up in arms. And that just is so Hamilton telling of the state of the industry. White people, it's... so many things are written for us. <laughs> we have enough. We have most things other than Hamilton. <laughs> like, just calm down. And I guess, like, in casting... I think one of the reasons that casting people of colour in this show is so imperative is that the music draws so heavily from R&B and hip-hop and rap, which are all genres that people of colour and particularly black Americans like pioneered. Mm. And so when your score draws from those influences um, and they're really obvious in the soundtrack, to have white people performing in that genre... um, and performing these words and performing in this sort of vernacular feels very wrong. Mim. Yes, Ellis. Do we rate or ruin Hamilton? So here's the thing. If you look at it from a purely non-intersectional feminist perspective, which I don't support, but just let's say we look, do that for a second. From a feminist point of view, just, just in terms of uh, the representation of women. It's got, it has its moments, but it's definitely not an overwhelmingly feminist work. Um, just by virtue of the fact that, you know, all of the women in the story are there because they are relevant to the life of the male lead. Mm-hmm. But looking at it from an intersectional perspective, which is the, the only the, perspective <laughs> that matters, really, yes, which is um, far more important to do. I think that the ultimate goal of Hamilton is to champion people of colour mm-hmm. and to champion their abilities, to champion uh, the the musical genres that they've contributed to and um, kind of pioneered and to champion the contribution of people of colour in the um, American history narrative that they have typically been excluded from. Mm. And I think that... This isn't a non-feminist work. Um, you absolutely see strong female characters. You do see their um, their contributions to Hamilton's life and also to American society yeah. on the whole. Um, and you do see um, a lot of empowerment that they embody. And I think that in this show, because the number one goal was to champion people of colour, the feminism is incidental to that and alongside of it I don't think that it is an exclusively um, feminist work and I don't think it was intended to be and I think that's okay I think that because you're championing championing another marginalized group and you have the you have some level of feminism alongside that I think that from an intersectional feminist perspective as Eliza would say that would be enough. <laughs> Just had to have that in there. <laughs> had, had to put that in there. Um, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. Mm. I, I think that like personal adoration for this show and the, the writer aside, I think it, it's been very hard to be objective. It has because we both love this show so much. <laughs> but even putting aside our personal adoration for this musical and for Lin Manuel Miranda himself. <laughs> I think that this work really holds up from yeah. from both an artistic perspective, absolutely, but that's not why we're here, um, <laughs> but especially from um, an activist perspective. Yeah, and also on, on like a cultural mm. level. Like, again, I can't express how rare it is for a musical, for a stage show to get this much widespread appeal and recognition yeah like it has just like <laughs> transcended genres mm-hmm. and audiences like i have so many friends that hate musicals but love hamilton yeah it's it's astounding mm. it, it, and just like trying to even fathom 
what the scope of of Hamilton's reach is just like astounding to me. And the fact that it is such a a progressive work in a lot of ways is so comforting. It's really exciting that that is the kind of work that has this much reach. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you liked our discussion on Hamilton you want to contribute if you have thoughts about Hamilton oh, get in touch. please send us some comments if you've got some filthy fanfic <laughs> I'm curious <laughs> if, send it to us send it to us uh, we might read it for the patrons I don't know that could be fun speaking of which if you would like to be a patron and hear all of mine and Ellis's ridiculous bloopers <laughs> which we upload to our Patreon page um, then you can be a patron and uh, contribute a monthly amount starting from one dollar a month mm-hmm. um, if you go to patreon.com slash feminism ruins everything pod or if you'd like to just shoot us a comment or send us a message, you can find us on Instagram at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod mm-hmm. or on Facebook, Feminism Ruins Everything dash It's a Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from our fans. We'd love to get suggestions of what you want us to talk about next. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear what you agree with, what you disagree with. We, we love it all. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Tune in next week. We have a really cool guest and really cool show we're going to talk about next week. Oh, we're week. so excited so for next like, week. Keep your ear out for that because it's going to be sick. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.